Coffee and Theology with Brent and Colin, and we have a special guest with us today, a, uh, a renowned scholar of history, as well as a man who has undertaken one of the most challenging professions of all time. He is also, uh, he, is a, uh, he is a junior high school teacher, uh, our good friend Scott. So Scott, welcome to Coffee and Theology. Thank you. All right. And we have, uh, as always, some of the finest brewed coffee in all of Long Beach. Cheers to that. Yes. Let's take a sip, and then Colin, go ahead and tell us all about it. Oh, man, that's good. <clears throat> all right, today we have got a, a Costa Rican La Laguna, and it's, a ro it's roasted to about a medium, and it's been run through a Gaja espresso machine, and so we are drinking Americanos this evening. And uh, yeah, it's got some it's got some interesting flavor notes to it. Um, the darker the darker you get, the more uh, chocolate notes you get out of it, obviously. But then it also has an undertone of like um, almond and a little bit of floral that kind of just sits in uh, pretty low acidity for a for an espresso. But but yeah, came out pretty good. Uh, delicious. Things have the perfect level of like bitterness, but then it also finishes a lot smoother too. Very smooth, very smooth. I was gonna say this is uh, this is. Um, you know, there's there's um, there's coffee that sort of just like jumps right into the fray, you know, <laughs> and is right there and on the palate doing doing the doing the uh, hardcore dance moves. You know, yeah. this one, uh, you know, this one's boogieing out nice and smooth. You know, wooing the ladies with the hip shaking and the stuff, and uh, it's 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 awesome. Brent, <laughs> <laughs> are you are you aware that every time you come up with a with some kind of anecdote for a taste and describe the coffee that you actually are going to have to keep doing that. <laughs> I so love the analogy. For, as, I love for as long as we have this going, you're going to have to come up with something interesting to say about it's getting it. getting harder every time. Yeah, yeah. Sure. We get Saturday Night Live or Saturday Night Fever. <laughs> Saturday Night Fever references right now. <laughs> All right, the, the John Travolta of coffees here. That's the, <laughs> that's the takeaway here. Probably you know, the highest compliment I've ever heard on my coffee. You should put that on your like business cards. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. John Travolta. It's a phenomenon. <laughs> Ooh, nice. See that nice. reference there? Nah, See what you did there. Is that what it's a movie's called? Phenomenon? Yeah. Yeah, which you know, any movie that tried to portray uh, John Travolta as a genius was a was a valiant effort to begin with. I mean, that's a, that was a brave undertaking. <laughs> it was a pretty underwhelming movie. <laughs> it, it was <laughs> okay, not so phenomenal. Okay, so uh, we are we've been talking about the Book of Mark, but we decided today for today's discussion because we have the the uh, brilliance of our friend Scott, the scholar. Scott the Scholar. Scott I like the that. Scholar. I like that. Yeah. Uh, we have him here. So we thought we would just talk about the broader history of the world at, at the time of the writing of Mark. And so we decided, let's just take a look at the first century and take a look at what's going on uh, in uh, in the Christian timeline. Let's take a look at what's going on around the world. And let's just see the the world that, uh, that the gospel is created in, that Jesus entered into, that the church was founded out of. And we'll just uh, see what we get out of that. Sounds good. All right. Sounds good. So, uh, so let's start with uh, just sort of a general overview of um, the first century. Yeah, I think I think one of the most amazing things, at least for me, like reading the Bible recently, is for so long. Like, and I think this just is is so well ingrained in people who are who grew up in the church that 
the Bible is taken almost separately from the rest of the world. Like it, it almost gets this tunnel vision like mentality of here's the Bible. Oh, and then there's other stuff happening too, but there, you don't ever make the connection of the Bible takes place in the world in the broader sense of, you know, mm-hmm. it's happening when w- world history is going on. Um, and so re- recently I've kind of been reading through the Bible and listening to, to discussions about the Bible with that framework in my mind of it's part of world history. It's part of the, the, the story of what's happening in the world. And so um, at the time of the, of, of the birth of Jesus, approximately uh, the world, po- world population was about 300 million people of which about 45 to 60 million of them lived within the, within the borders of the Roman empire. That's about 20% of the, of the world population. Um, an additional somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 to 40 to 50 million lived, lived within the borders of China. Um, so that was also a very large percentage of the world's population as well. So, um, pretty small population as far as world, world population goes 300 million to put that into perspective is about two thirds of the population of the United States is right now. United States is about 370 million people. So seriously, yeah, wow, that's actually a really crazy thing to think of. Yeah, so about wow. two thirds of the, the size of the world. So, so uh, uh, let's see, California is about 38 million. So about the size of the Roman Empire. Yeah, sounds about right. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that is pretty amazing. And then uh, um, I also had read uh, Rome's uh, army sort of reached its uh, largest uh, size around the first century, which would have been about three hundred thousand. Yeah. Uh, Roman uh, uh, Romans in their army under the emperor uh, Trajan, uh, who he, he was the he was the emperor at the, at the height of the Roman Empire peak. Um, yeah, there's about three hundred to four hundred thousand people yeah. in the Roman that's Empire. Yeah, that's a pretty decent sized army. Yeah, I mean uh, <laughs> that's a pretty good size. I don't know. I have no clue what uh, the American army is today, but three hundred thousand people is a lot. I, I, I really like they, what you said though, because that's a that's a really interesting way of looking at it. I never like you. You totally get caught up in this like in this mindset of the Christian world as a fishbowl, mm-hmm. and then like what is going on in the like what they consider the you know the West. Yeah. Like, what is going on over there? Yeah. And so that's that tonight's actually, I, I'm really excited about tonight's conversation because like, yeah, it's like to, to take you out of the mindset of the fishbowl when you're reading mm-hmm. scripture. Uh, so looking at uh, broader around the world, I think it's interesting. Uh, some of the, um, some of the uh, innovations that come out of this time period is interesting. Uh, the, the book starts taking over. So this is kind of the invention huh. of the book. Transition from scrolls to books. From scrolls to books. Uh, it really started in the Roman empire. Um, and actually, uh, the New Testament was uh, uh, sort of fueled this in, you know, it, it took on this trend, right? <laughs> so this is, uh, uh, you know, uh, you, most people are writing on scrolls around the first century. Rome starts figuring out, hey, it's a lot easier to bind these pages together than it is to write longer and longer scrolls and keep all these scrolls. It's easier to bind them together. So Rome, uh, a lot of Roman uh, literature starts being put into books. Um the early church sort of latches onto this idea and starts making things into books. And so you don't have a ton of scrolls. Uh, so not that we have any of the original books anyways, but they, they would have been more likely written in a book form than scroll form. So that's kind of interesting. That's interesting because that's actually why we have so many, like a certain amount of Paul's writings are considered to be legitimate. Um, there are like the legitimate ones and then there are the questionable mm-hmm. pseudos and the, um, and the apocryphals of, of, Paul's writings, but the original ones, which contains like Second Corinthians, but only like a certain part of Corinthians, Thessalonians, um, part of Galatians, and like what they what we now call uh, Ephesians, is all part of this like papyri, 
that was a bound uh, a bound book that they had found that was like uh, missing like it's called a quill quill I think. Mm, I'm not sure. Edit this out because yeah, we sound like an idiot. Or that's right. But they, but it's missing a couple, and that's why we, there's room to believe that other ones were legitimate also. But that's why like one of the main reasons that it became canonized is because it was all found together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's really it's it, it's like um, it's almost thinking about like uh, the transition from analog tapes to like CDs or yeah. CDs to MP3s, right? Just sort of these like they're at the the church is at this transition point, <laughs> and they just take on a new media. You know, who knows they were so hip for their time, right? <laughs> so, yeah, Rome's going through a lot. Uh, outside of Rome, uh, cycling up, uh, this was one of the more interesting cultures I found was uh, you go up into Europe and right around where uh, Romania is today and also um, kind of around the, the Caspian Sea, mm -hmm. what's that, that up there? Yep. Uh, right around that area, there's a culture called the, I'm going to pronounce these all wrong, but they're called the Dacian culture. Sure. Yeah, we'll go with that. D-A-C-I-A-N. In case somebody needs to look that up. But, <laughs> like me. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't think it would be the Dacian. But the Dacian so, culture. Yeah. So Dacian culture, they're, they're, a, they're a tribal culture. Um, you know, kind of, you know, picture them kind of like the, the Celtic culture or the Germanic tribe cultures. Um, they have a, um, uh, they're, 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 they're a pretty strong uh, culture up there, up in that area. And they have two things or two or three things I thought was really fascinating about them. One was that um, there's a linkage of them to wolves. And nobody's quite exactly sure what that linkage is. But, you know, given how awesome wolves are in oh, yeah. general and how popular they are today, I thought it was kind of interesting. And so some people think, you know, it's they, they believe they were maybe their founder was, you know, like a wolf-like god. Or maybe they had some sort of, you know, werewolf affinity type of thing that they thought that was cool. Maybe they wore... Uh, wolf-like uh, garments during battle or anything like that. So that was kind of cool. Maybe they were just into wolf sweatshirts like everybody else is today. <laughs> wolf moves. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so far out, far out, man. <laughs> but the the part that got me the most was their belief and what they their their they kind of uh, alternated. Some people think that they had multiple gods, but a lot of people agree that they had really only one god, and this was a guy that they called Zalmoxis great name totally great name also if you're writing a sci-fi novel write that down salt moxis it's totally awesome salt moxis and his wolves that's <laughs> yeah which if i had a wolf i would name him salt moxis absolutely totally. i don't think he had any choice yeah <laughs> yeah he'd probably just name himself that <laughs> comes with the tag <laughs> tattoo uh, so uh so salt moxis was uh was a the he everybody most people believe he was a real person and he entered into this culture uh prior to prior to 100 uh and he uh so imp so impressed these people that they made him into a god or he became like a god to them and uh it, a lot of people think his name uh is <laughs> we have a really cool refrigerator <laughs> <laughs> right next to the uh recording studio yeah. <laughs> the coffee and theology recording studio yeah. Corner of the couch. Uh, so, so, uh, so Zalmoxis, you know, depending on how uh, people parse his name out, but a lot of people think it means foreigner or man, you know, man from another country type of thing. And, and he, you know, a lot of people believe that he came from, uh, you know, from Greece or from Rome. And maybe he was a runaway person or maybe he was just traveling. And he sort of taught them the ways of Greek culture. A lot of this has to do with some of the legends around him, one of which is 
in theory, he went underground for a few years and then came back out, which is a very, uh, uh, very similar to uh, the Greek um, gods uh, and their legends about how the seasons come about. So that Persephone was taken down into Hades by Hades, uh, taken into the underworld and then rescued. And then that's why you have winter and summer and all these different things. And so they connect him to those stories and all that. Uh, and then uh, his one of his uh, big teachings, though, was that the um, the next world was a better place to be. So they were very unafraid of dying and they thought dying was not a bad thing to have happen because you immediately transition to this other world and this other world was a great place to be. Um, and so, yeah, and, and, and kind of not far from what a lot of people think of Christianity yeah. today. Like you just transition to this other world and it's a better place to be. So why should you be afraid of dying? And these people had this belief system. And one of the ways that they would communicate with their God, this was the part that I was horrified slash totally loved was a couple guys would get their spears and hold their spears up. And then they would have a message for the gods or a message for Zalmoxis. So the guy would have the message the the person who would have the message that was going to be sent as the messenger. And then they would pick him up. And they would throw him up into the air so that he lands on the spears and dies. <laughs> and if he dies quickly, then the message is going to go through and Zalmoxis will get their message. And if he dies slowly, then he was a terrible messenger and it never got through. Which is horrific yet awesome. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> I would just like never have anything to say to him. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you hate for the town elders to be like, hey, we got a question for Zalmoxis. And you're like, oh man, there it goes. Run away. Run away. <laughs> I have to go hang out with the wolves. <laughs> yeah, I, gotta, I was the guy that's going to feed the wolves. Yeah. <laughs> Colin, you got a lot. You got questions, don't you? Right? So, so yeah, the uh, I thought that was really fascinating, sort of. And they were, you know, uh, according to, you know, the Romans who wrote down these stories about them, they were unafraid of dying like that because they considered the next world a great place to be. So they went willingly uh, throwing themselves on spears to talk to Zalmoxis. Nice. That's an interesting thought, too, because you go back into even some of the earlier polytheistic religions of you know, the ancient world, and you, you found a lot of that same thing, where, where there, were, there was thought of an afterlife, and it was such a great idea that people were unafraid of dying. And in fact, when, when Christianity was still a young religion, there was a lot of conflict between some of those earlier religions and Christianity. And one of the ways that those earlier religions would almost mock Christianity is that they early Christians were almost seen as being afraid of dying. Mm -hmm. um, but while those other religions, those other believers would almost mock them for that because they, they said, I have no fear of dying because the afterlife or the next world is so, so great. Yeah. And they looked forward to it. You get the whole like quarrel with Paul and Thessalonians where they're writing to him because they're like super afraid mm -hmm. because some guy like died and they're, and they're like, well, Paul, you said that like when Christ comes back, then everything's going to be okay. Like this guy, this guy croaked already. And so he's freaking out. And Paul has to write this second letter back to them, like, like, you know, telling them, like, hey, no, he'll be okay. <laughs> he didn't give him a timeline because that's what the, you're right. They, yeah. they didn't have any like, um, like long term information about how that was going to work. Christ didn't leave him with a whole lot except for when I come back. And they're like, well, what is that going to be? What is that going to be? What am I supposed to tell people that I'm starting churches for right now? <laughs> yeah. You know, like, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of people that are, that are asking questions. So, <laughs> what do you got? <laughs> give up, give us anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and also, you know, the the um, the focus on the afterlife is an interesting, uh, you know, trend 
that, you know, I think it really influenced early Christianity. And one is, you know, a lot of people's lives weren't so great to begin with, right? I mean, there's a lot of poverty. Uh, there's the have and the have nots is a very distinct uh, uh, system there. And then, um, and then particularly once you start getting into your, you know, your, your um, torture, killed for your belief systems. And, you know, if you say this thing or that thing wrong, you know, there, there's still these people that have all this power over you in this afterlife of maybe being this perfect world. And it's all great, um, you know, comes in sharp focus when people start really encountering death and particularly death for what they believe. And, um, and, and I think this, you know, this, perfect afterlife and what this entails, uh, you know, becomes very mythical for people. And I think becomes very mythical even for Christians. And, you know, if you're going to pick like awesome afterlife, I mean, the Vikings had it nailed, yeah. right? Cause they would go out and fight every day and whatever, if they died, they would just, you know, reappear the next day. And then they would just like drink all go night. Go to the drinking hall for go yeah. to the drinking hall <laughs> night, night, and then they would they would just try and get laid. And you think like if you're going to pick an afterlife like vision, that's a pretty it's awesome a tough one. one to beat. Yeah, it's a tough one to beat. And actually, is pretty much what we've recreated in all video games. So <laughs> anybody anybody that's wondering like what happened to the Viking afterlife, we just made them into video games. Yeah. That's pretty you know you just die and get resurrected and uh, and then uh, hang out with your buddies. Uh, so yeah, so I mean you know it's interesting and you know and I think where. Uh, Christianity stumbles is in its vision of the afterlife. I mean, I think the vision of the afterlife in Christianity is, it, it you know, it's it's portrayed as clouds and little half naked angel baby things and like this like real passive, harmonious, heart playing reality. And I got to say, you know, of the uh, ancient world perspectives on the uh, on the on the world after this one, you know, a lot of people had one up on us, and I and I and I. And I think that's because, uh, you know, because of the, the, the cultures around them and, and Christians sort of need to find peace and where they would find that peace. But I don't know that that's exactly what God was promising us for an afterlife. And I, I don't know that even God talked as much about the afterlife as people think that he did, uh, or maybe that we even read the scriptures as he did. And that maybe, maybe a lot more of what God talked about was what the world was supposed to be like here and now versus what the world would be like after you were dead. Well, so, I mean, you're, you're forgetting the, like, the streets of gold, though. I mean, that's what my heaven looks like. There's a look at streets, streets of, gold. of gold. Streets of gold and, like, mansions. Yeah. Man, big mansions? Big mansions? Big No, I totally agree with you, though, that there's a, that, that there's a, um, for a, for a, a religion that puts such a high regard on the afterlife that that there's such like that that has become like a facet of why we join Christianity is because we there's a, to go to heaven. There's a promise. Yeah. There's a there's like a there's an end goal. We've done a pretty shitty job of like coming up with like a a good one to go to. Terrible. You know I mean? Like terrible. Like that's this is like that like that's the part that that is the um, the weirdest part to me is that like if if that is what we have created as like this is the end goal and that's why we come to Christ because that is the that's what Christ has become so much so is like this vessel to heaven rather than where we are right now and we've done a pretty bad job of like using our imaginations like yeah angel babies uh harps streets of gold streets of gold and mansions you know it's like streets of gold just go to hollywood yeah, yeah. You, you've literally just dreamt Hollywood. Yeah, 
Yeah. That's not great. I didn't take a Viking death any day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and then, you know, I think also, you know, what the church lapsed into is in in lieu of a really interesting uh, positive afterlife, uh, a really imaginative negative afterlife. And I got to say, the church took uh, hell to the next level with their... Fire uh, and brimstone. Yeah. It's a real thing. Fire and right brimstone. There. And I mean, you look at the 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 uh, descriptions of hell. You know, you know, Jesus sort of uses this uh, imagery of of the um, sacrifices to Moloch and how despised how despised those sacrifices were, uh, and sacrificing you know children, mm-hmm. uh, babies, infants to to the fire, literally. Uh, as sort of this detestable thing to God and, and almost not necessarily saying that's what it is, but just almost saying this is how detestable this thing is. This is how, how, how wrong or how far from God this, this concept is, you know, to the point where you have, you know, the Renaissance artists spending half of their time drawing depictions oh, of hell. hell. I mean, yeah. hell was a way more interesting topic and place and uh, thing to write about than heaven any day, right? Heaven, you know, you slap a couple of clouds on the top of the Sistine Chapel, but hell, you take up two whole walls full of just all the, far the more damnation yeah. of all the, you know, here's a Satan perpetually, you know, the, Satan, the, the original Sarlacc, where he's perpetually chewing on <laughs> Judas, you know, for all eternity. Judas and Boba Fett, both in right. there for all eternity, right? <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, and, you know, I think, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, some of these other cultures, you know, they really had, you know, maybe a better perspective on, you know, life after what death. What was next, yeah. What was next. And so, so, but building on that, what do you guys think is next? Are you asking for our, for our, for our end goal Ooh. right now? This is it. Here it. Dang, we are just taking it. We're going that right out. there, man. Here we go. We're going from the first century to the, to the, uh, the, the afterlife. I think that, um, I think that my view on what comes next is heavily. So, okay. I read like the first chapter of surprised by hope by N.T. Wright, right? And it totally wrecked me. And, and I read the first chapter because, and I haven't gotten really past that because I, I, I wanted to chew on that for as long as I possibly could. So for the past couple of months, I've been like kind of really sitting on that. And I, and this is going to take me a minute. Is that okay? I'm no, sorry. I have so, all the time. So here's what, here's what I'm, here's what I, here's what I think. If you look at the story arc of, of God, if you look at the over, the over, um, arcing story of the, of his creation. There are two elements that I think that we can't deny that we still hold on to. And um, and that is that he created the world and he said that it was good. And then he created man in his image and said that it was very good. And if you look and you fast forward throughout time, you have several different places where God has demolished and recreated, demolished and recreated. However, he has kept two items the exact same for, the, for this whole time. And that is... The world is is good, and humans made in his image are very good. And I have a very hard time subscribing to the idea that that eventually will be dropped. Like, I feel like it's more in his character, like, if, if, if his character role sheet, that's not, makes me sound super nerdy. <laughs> his dexterity combined by his charisma, oh. which is a plus seven. Oh, man. Plus yeah. seven charisma. Yeah, plus seven charisma. <laughs> Neutral good, obviously. Um, <laughs> so, but I, it, it is his character to to do those two things or keep those two items over and over again. So, 
that's why I, 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 you know, I make these like biting comments of, of leaving here and going to heaven. And this is probably going to make me sound like a total heretic, but that's fine. But like, I do feel like that there, that, that there's just another chapter of that. Like, can I answer all of the questions to it? But not, no, but I think that like, so it makes more sense to me that, that this will just happen again, that there's another chapter of this, this renewal of the good and keeping around the image that is made in his image, which is very good. And so I kind of, I kind of just described to this idea that, that it's not necessarily heaven is where we are right now, because this is, this is not the, the area that God dwells in, but I think that he's constantly like attempting to get back to a garden where he can walk with us and among us and be a part of that life with us in such an intimate way, because that's the other item of, of God's character that I, that I highly hold on to, which is that he's a relational God and that his desire has always been to be relational with us. And so it's like, yeah, I have a hard time thinking that we're going to blow up this world and everybody that doesn't, you know, everybody's just going to, you know, disappear and 747s are going to fly out of the sky and Kirk Cameron's going to be right. And <laughs> I have a really hard time. I have a hard time believing Kirk Cameron's right on anybody. Yeah. So. Except for Christmas. <laughs> what? Have you heard his new Christmas album? Oh, we'll talk about that. He's no. got a Christmas album? You know, he's got a Christmas movie. A movie? Yeah. Whoa. It explains Christmas and why, and why the pagan ideas are actually Christian ideas. Dude. We're doing a review Brilliant. of that movie yeah. on our Christmas, uh, <laughs> Christmas one. Oh, Christmas yeah. edition? <laughs> Christmas edition. We're doing a review of the Kirk Cameron, Cameron Christmas. Christmas. Yeah, we <laughs> Coffee and Cameron that night. Coffee and Cameron. <laughs> uh, Cameron So, okay. Um, but the idea that, like, this this whole idea that this concept of we're all just poof, gone, and we won't recognize each other, nor will we recognize anything that has to do with what we have known kind of just seems far-fetched and out of God's character and that feels more that feels more like fashioned together than anything else. And so not to take too much of this time, but like it's something I've been really thinking about and and I and I just feel like these that those three items, these three these three pieces of of God's creation that he's made the world, it was good, he made man in his image and it was very good and then he walked among them and kept a close relationship with them. I think that he's consistently striving to get back to that and so heaven to me is more like and 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 this is why i think that it's even more imaginative or or at least better is like imagine like you're born you 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 die and then you have a bodily resurrection back into the same like similar body that you're in right now and we remember each other and the difference is that god is walking with us and i feel like that's maybe not the entirety of it but like but that sounds to me far better than like not remembering anybody that I've ever known, not being able to like know my wife when I die. And like, and, and the, the greatest part of it is like, is that you are in the sky somewhere. Like that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me when God has created such an amazing world that I haven't explored nearly a quarter of. Mm -hmm. And, and I could do that with him. So anyway, that's, that's my long. I like that. All right, Scott. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the world after this honestly and this is I'm, this is going to sound like a total cop out I don't know it is a total cop out uh, yeah I, 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 I'm okay with it I'm honestly okay with that you're okay with that I I've struggled with that answer for years you know I've I've, 
I've gone through those those times when I'm when you know when I'm deeper into into my religion of of, of believing and, and of having a picture of an afterlife. And I've gone through those times where I'm like, it's all a myth. It's all it's all fake. We're we're here on this life, and that's it. And I don't know. I don't I don't know where I stand right now. I don't know what what I believe happens after. I mean, I love that picture that you just made, Colin. The idea, like, it's just the next step of of what God has already created and what what, what He's deemed to be good, because that 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 makes sense to me. Mm. But I don't know. I honestly, I I I can't craft a, a description of what I believe right now because I don't I personally don't know it yeah it's hard to picture and I, I think uh, so I think a couple of things model our pictures one is I think that um, you know Greek philosophy is so prevalent in our foundation of just thinking and I think uh, two things in particular about Greek philosophy just permeate uh, this kind of discussion about what happens and one is that um the, the philosophy that uh, pain is bad and happiness is good. And the further apart those things are, the better off they are. Um, and so the, the perfect world is minus pain. And I think this is, you know, that's a, it's a Buddhist thought. You know, that was pretty much Buddhist was realization Buddha. yeah. was that pain is bad. We should get away from it, you're right? Suffering. Yeah, and suffering is because you're attached to things, yeah. and et cetera. So, and then, you know, the Greek philosophers also found this out, too. And this is sort of, uh, I forget what the guy's name is, but, you know, you know, it latched onto this idea, too, is that, like, pleasure is good, pain is bad, and there's this separation that needs to happen between the two. So I think that concept really muddles people's vision of perfection, right? Because you start saying, well, it can't have pain in it. But you can't imagine, you can't even write a decent story without pain. Like, pain is integral to life. And it's integral to living, and it's integral to feeling alive. And the more detached you are from pain, the more detached you are from reality. You're the just you're, you're floating in yeah. nothingness, you know. Uh, the more attached you, you know, detached you are from, or the more you try and just seek only pleasure, the more detached you are from reality than bigger of a jerk you generally are right uh and it's so it's hard you know i think it's hard to you know in theory it sounds right that like things that are pleasurable are good and things that are painful are bad but that's not our reality uh and then secondly i think um uh there's the notion of of um uh we live in a imperfect world and there is a perfect world and our imperfect world is a shadow of the perfect world and this was plato's big Plato, insight yeah. uh and that and that, um, and it, you know, Plato's contribution to this was, you know, through wisdom or through rational thought, one could bridge the gap. You know, through understanding, one could bridge the gap. And but I think that you know that notion of like, you know, our world is so flawed it can never be the perfect world, is also something that prev, you know, is very prevalent. And so I think when people start thinking about an afterlife, it comes down to two things. One is it has to be this world where there's minus any friction whatsoever. There's no pain. There's no tears. There's no like yelling. There's no moments of sadness. Nothing. Nothing that actually like rounds out our emotional spectrum. We we cut off ninety percent of our emotional spectrum to to live in this perfect world. And then secondly, is that this perfect world absolutely could never possibly be here, right? Because because this is just a shadow of the real thing, right? And so somewhere out there, there's a you know there's a you know, the perfect world has, you know, trees that are always in bloom and it's always springtime and the waves, you know, crash just so. And, 
you know, back to kind of what you said, Colin, about the world being good and, 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 um, you know, God making the world and God calling it good. I think people forget the, the absolute danger of the world. Like waves are beautiful and they can crush you. <laughs> like, yes, that is amazing, but they can kill you. They can drag you out into the depths of the ocean and you can drown off of this thing that God said, this is wonderful. Uh, cliffs are neat, but you can fall <laughs> from them and die. The Grand Canyon is amazing, but you get too close to it, you can die. Like, that's painful, right? Or that could be painful, or you can slip and fall. Um, so I think there's a lot of, like, the beauty of nature uh, that we sort of idealize, um, and maybe we, um, you know, try and round off all the painful edges on it. And we look at, you know, you have to have the, the beauty of reality has to be a snapshot of it because it can't possibly be without pain, right? It can't possibly be without danger. And yet God made an extremely dangerous world for us to live in and said it was good. Uh, and so I think there's that, you know, I think there's a lot of things that permeate our thought that really color our thinking of a perfect world. And, and if I look back at a lot of, uh, echoing what you said, Colin, about, I think the, the world is God's intended plan. Like, I don't think he had a, a, an alternate world plan, unless maybe we're all going to move to Mars, which case that's awesome. But, <laughs> but I don't think he had an alternate, I think Earth is his plan. Like, that's what he made, and that's what he likes, and that's, that's what he made. Uh, and unless you believe, you know, uh, you know, you can take the creation story however you want, but even if you take it fairly literally, you have to believe in a 100% Change the biochemistry of the world to, to believe that Adam and Eve lived in a world that didn't have like bugs that bit them yeah. or the tigers that wanted to eat them, right? I mean, it's almost impossible to think of these, uh, this kind of a world that you know it, it, it can't possibly be this. Um, so you know, I think that um, you know, taking that idea that God that that the God created earth to be his and to dwell in it and that he thought he thinks that this is good. And I think you couple that with like, what do uh, the various uh, representations that I think God tried to bring about, like I think the, the tabernacle and the temple are meant to be microcosms of a perfect world. And then I think when, when Jesus comes along and says, I am the temple, um, my, my, my congregation of my people is the temple. I think he's saying, this is what the perfect world looks like. And then when I think you have in Jerusalem, in, um, Revelation, you have Jerusalem, you don't have people ascending up into the sky to Jerusalem, you have actually Jerusalem descending down onto the earth and being part of the earth and being in the earth, and that's where God dwells, is on the earth. Um, and I think you have that being, uh, and even then you have finite limits to perfection, right? I mean, there's like finite limits to the, the scope of, of, of the boundaries of the, 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 the new city of Jerusalem. It doesn't encompass the entire world, it's actually finite boundaries. And so I think you start, you know, Picking apart where do some of our presuppositions come from, some of our idealized versions of it. And I think you come out with a very pragmatic uh, view of what God would view as, 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 a, as a redeemed, fulfilled world. I think it's a world that still has some danger in it. I think it's a world where there's pain in it. And I think there's a world where God's in it. And God dwells among his people in it. And, and I don't know that... Anything is different uh, in the next world minus mortality. And I think that's when you look at Jesus 
the thing that really astounded me about the resurrection story of Jesus is when he appears to his disciples and they all can see that he's Jesus. And he says, look at my wounds. And you think like, here you are, like maybe you're in the, like the perfect reality of the perfect world. And the guy has wounds still. Like, how do you like transition into the new body that can somehow, you know, go in between buildings without <laughs> using doors and you still have wounds. <laughs> you know, that's a very almost disturbing thought, you know. Did it ache? Did it not ache? Did it, you know, but, I mean, at the very least, what you can tell is that they, they no longer spelled out his death. Like, he was not dead as a result of these wounds. But he had wounds enough to show uh, to show his disciples that he was who he was and to convince them that this was the same guy you saw die. Uh, so I think there's, you know, I... I, I a little in between, like, I don't know what uh, heaven is supposed to be like, but I I would strip away all of the presuppositions about pain, strip away all the presuppositions about, uh, you know, like, um, you know, I, I what ideal looks like. And I would start with that God made a world he thinks is ideal. And what was unideal about it was he couldn't have a relationship with mankind. And that's the thing he set out to fix. He didn't set out to fix tigers not biting people. He didn't set out to fix, <laughs> you know, uh, that there wouldn't be mosquitoes. He didn't set out to fix that people wouldn't cry. Uh, he set out to fix that he couldn't have a relationship with them because they had turned their backs on him. Yeah, because that's like, oh, it's just to echo two things that you, that, uh, that you were talking about right now, is that the idea that the world is what God has he he likes it. He intended it, right? And, and like and the way I think about it, you don't you don't make you don't build a house that you're gonna like live in and, and grow old in, and then build a second house on another side of the city just in case. You know what I mean? Like you don't go into like creating something that like is perfect with like the idea that you're going to eventually move on to the next one. You know what I mean? And like and then the other thing is this idea of like this presupposition of like there not being any pain. There not being any like like any sorrow, any sadness, any like crying, like that is not only a fairy tale, but it's also like kind of completely opposite of who God's character is. I mean, He shows all of these characteristics, and if we're made in His image, why would He? So we're gonna go to heaven. We're not gonna be in pain or have sorrow or anything like that. But God still feels that. Yeah. Like it doesn't make much sense to me that 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 we get stripped of all of that, all of that character that like he put into us and, and so intricately designed into us. I mean, if we want to talk about like intelligent design, like he added all of that, you know what I mean? But then like the same people that argue that also want to say that it's going to be taken away. You know what I mean? It just doesn't. Yeah. And I think that, you know, like it's that, um, you know, God, God and pain can't coexist yet. Just as you said, how many scriptures are there where God is evidently in pain? He's annoyed. He's mad. He wants to wipe out all of his people again. He's sorry. He's sad. I mean, Jesus when, wept. Jesus weeps. I mean, when his good friend dies, mm -hmm. he weeps about it. Even though he can fix it, he's still sad about it. You yeah. know, it still, still gets him. You know, and you're like, why would we, you know, why, why strip out the emotion of it? Why, why, uh, you know, and I think that's, you know, I think there's a, there's a certain wish fulfillment in any version of the afterlife. And, and I don't think it jives with what God intended. You know, and I don't, I don't think that, um, you know, I, I think if we're going to go for wish fulfillment, like let's go, 
you know, the cool Viking route and think of like fun <laughs> things to do versus the like scared Quaaludes at Hugh Hefner's house. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but, but I mean, why go after the like uh, emotionless automaton yeah. version of I, I, that? Can't be appealing. To, I mean, life lived at its fullest seems the best version of of heaven that I could imagine versus life lived at its dullest. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for eternity, what do you get to do for eternity? Well, I get to feel nothing because everything else might be scary. I mean, that's a that's a terrible version of reality, right. you know, versus a, you know, uh, an exciting life filled with fun, filled with a little bit of danger, filled with emotions and happiness and sadness and, you know, high-fiving each other and, you know, you know, and being a little sad that some things didn't work out. And I, I've never seen God... Advises people to run away from pain. In fact, most of the time, he promises that's that's the first thing that's going to happen. Right? People are going to be against you, and they're not going to like it, and you got to push through it. So, so yeah, I, uh, what the afterlife actually looks like, I don't know, but I think our version of the afterlife is heavily uh, colored by things that I don't think God at all uh, set out to add to the afterlife. We're way off topic. <laughs> it's super off topic, but exciting. Good stuff. More interesting than the first century. Sorry, first century. <laughs> All right, so what do we have for, uh, what's our takeaways? We didn't even get around the globe. There's other things that happen. We didn't even get outside of Europe. Yeah, we didn't even get past the Danube, barely. <laughs> but wait, I do want to hear, hear from Scholar Scott over here. Scholar Scott. Uh, what, what was happening in the West? Because I think that that is an important piece of this is like that fishbowl. I want to get out of the fishbowl. I want to hear just just like a five minute recap of like of what happens in the West when when all this is going on. Not much, <laughs> <laughs> or or a lot of the same. I guess maybe like the what was happening uh, one thousand BC yeah. is still happening in one hundred yeah. AD. There's, there's very little recorded history about uh, what, what's happening in the first century uh, in the Western part of the world. Um, there were, I mean, the, the, the early stages of, of, of Mesoamerican civilization was starting to pop up in, you know, what is now Southern Mexico, the Yucatan Peninsula, that area. Um, the early, early civilizations of the, of the pre-Incans were, uh, were coming around. What, what are they called? The, the Naz? Yeah, like, well, the Mo, 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 Mochi? Oh, okay. the Mochi, right. Yeah, the Mochi were in uh, Peru and then the Nazca were down, you know, along Chile. Yeah. Yeah. Um. The, again, the, the precursors to the to the modern Native Americans were were, were coming up, coming about in North America. Um, the Cherokee, are, I think, is one of the earliest known civilizations. What we would call today the Cherokee, uh, the Iroquois, same thing up in the, what is what would now be like New York and southern China or southern Canada. <laughs> Geography is <laughs> not my strong point. He's <laughs> a historian. Historian, not a. Geography guy. Um, Not a cartographer. Cartographer, <laughs> that's it. Cartographer Carl's our next uh, guest. <laughs> hate that guy. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's a huge feud between you two. <laughs> a rival. rival. Um, the basket weavers would eventually become the Navajo. Uh, we're, we're just starting to pop up in Southwest, sort of the you know, yeah. southwestern area. So Not a lot is known, but what is known is just the... Is the, the the precursors to kind of the later civilizations. All right. I think we got some takeaways already. We got some takeaways. We got some so. takeaways. We covered the, uh, the afterlife. So <laughs> what else are we going to do from that's, that? That's a takeaway. <laughs> First century to the afterlife. I think we covered that. So. 
First century to the afterlife. <laughs> that is a span of time. That is a span of time. You know, we took a little uh, detour into the afterlife, but I think that was uh, worth it. Yeah, absolutely. A little, uh, little preview. So, uh, you know... Uh, Hope nobody uh, thinks we're heretics. Uh, but at the same time, if you think we're heretics, you... it's probably okay, actually. It's probably okay. You probably, you're probably heretical in our view, if you think yeah. other than that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One big disagreement. Yeah. If you're waiting for your uh, angel wings, then uh, good luck. <laughs> Let us know how that works out. Yeah. But, oh, you know what? I do want to say one last thing. The one thing that's kind of a bummer about about the way that I, the way that I've started to look at the afterlife is that it really ruins spirituals for me. Like "I'll Fly Away" is one of my favorite songs yeah. ever, and it just means like crap um, in my view. Wow, it's kind of a real bummer. Yeah, that is a bummer. That's yeah. my takeaway. That is that's a sad super, takeaway. Man. Super sad about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got nothing. <laughs> but uh, but I do think we should do. I think we should in uh, this version of Coffee and Theology with if Nicolas Cage is going to make a movie about the afterlife. What's it called? Yes, I, I, I am like, trying to think of like movies that he's been in and like what, <laughs> what would the title be? I feel like it would just be like something real stupid, obviously. <laughs> yeah. But real hard too. Like, like I picture, I picture a gun on it from the case for some reason. And his, his just very like concerned look about yeah. something. He's super confused. Yeah, concerned. He's, yeah. confer- he's he's concerned and confused. Now I got you know this is this is my like Nicolas Cage afterlife movie. It's called Joe. Right, <laughs> yeah. simple, straightforward. Nicolas Cage dies, goes to the afterlife, and comes back. Right, he's back now. Right. For some reason, maybe he's the maybe he's the avenging angel of the apocalypse or something like that, right? But he's an ordinary looking guy. He's he's grown a beard out, you know. He's kind of shaggy looking, almost 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 biblical, but not too much, not right? Because we want to still attract the the non Christian crowd. And he's and he's back, and it's a little bit of a vengeance film, but with a with a righteous vengeance on it. And so he's sort of a back to tell people about the good, but then some things go wrong, and then he has all the right to like strike them down. And then I think it's I think it's just called simply Joe, yeah. Afterlife Joe. Afterlife. And the tagline is Heaven is for real. <laughs> <laughs> no wait wait Heaven is for real, Hell is for you or something like that. Uh, it's got to be like we need the Heaven and Hell. Uh, we need the Heaven and Hell thing, right? You need maybe like uh, oh no wait, he's back from Heaven to give you Hell. Oh. <laughs> Oh, yeah. That's what so, hey, All right. You heard it here first. And if anybody sees or hears about this going on, let us know. Brent Odie <laughs> deserves <laughs> all the credit. What royalties? Hey, Nick Cage, you give him at least 50 bucks. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Something. I know you got that. Yeah. Or be a guest on our show. Or make sure that Kirk Cameron makes it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Kirk. Well, we already know what the Kirk Cameron one's called. All of them. <laughs> yeah. So, right. so the movie Joe coming soon to the streets of gold near you. Oh, oh nice, yeah, nice, Well done. Well done. All right. That's it for coffee and theology. Next time we'll talk about something else. That's not the afterlife. <laughs> Well, maybe. Well, maybe. maybe. Actually, maybe we'll just do a whole, a whole thing. <laughs> just keep going. Maybe, maybe just, we'll cover hell next time. We'll see. All right. Well, Scott, thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Fantastic. Glad to be here. Sorry we didn't get to make full use of your historical knowledge. but uh, all right. 
Yeah, it was it, good times. The, the knowledge is still there, so. <laughs> it's, well, <laughs> anytime, should, anytime. Save it up for the junior high kids. just like phone you in sometimes. Like, oh, just there like, you go. Man. Oh, phone, phone a friend. Phone a friend. Phone a historian. Phone, phone a scholar. Phone, <laughs> phone, a, uh, scholar. phone a scholar. <laughs> <laughs> Although I'm not sure being a junior high history teacher makes me a scholar, but I'm, I'm going to take that title anyway. Yeah, I'm going to take it. Well, you're a gentleman and a scholar, so I think you got the, you got both of them going. All right. Uh, you know the fact that you uh, you know you're willingly teaching junior highs uh, <laughs> history. That's uh, that's some sort of martyrdom. You know you. Yeah. Whatever the afterlife holds, you get you get more of it. You get more of it for doing and that. And you're for sure going to be a foxes. <laughs> yeah, you get more gold in your street or something like that. Something like that. So. All right. All right. Well, that's Coffee Theology with Brent. Colin. And Scott. That was...